Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Last week we, um, we talked about what is the church. And we had this whiteboard up front here and we came up with all these suggestions. For those of you who can't see the whiteboard, well, the photo doesn't look all that better. Is it? But these were some of the things that we came up with. What is the church? Body of Christ, believers, um, love, worship, service, forgiveness, fellowship, sharing life, teaching, learning. And there's some really, really good things there. Really good things there. But this morning, I'm going to take it just a step further and I want to see us be challenged by what is God's expectation for his church. Um, it's important that we have an understanding of what is church. And last week, there weren't, if you noticed, much scripture involved. It was all about primarily us. What was our impression of church? Today, it will be a little bit more in depth. We're going to talk about, well, what does God expect of us? What is God's you know, intention for his church. So we'll go right to the very beginning, and it's in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You can't get as early a church as that. They came together, they had one thing in common. That was, they were followers of Jesus, Jesus had died, and they were afraid. So they locked themselves in a room. How many churches today do we know that are similar to that? There are some churches today that are still locked in that room. But things get better because Jesus does something that converts the church from this to the Acts chapter 2 church, where it says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who needed Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the question is, if you read that, what has happened between Acts 2 and today? What we just read in Acts chapter 2, is that very similar to who we are today? Just think about it for a moment. What has happened between Acts chapter 2 to today? Well, I thought about it, and and as I was thinking through this, um, I had to go to the bathroom. And I've noticed as I've gotten older that I have to go to the bathroom more frequently. Anyone have that problem? (laughs) Uh, Pete Magendi, you're not here today, are you? Pete has this saying, never give up an opportunity to go to the bathroom. (laughs) 
I called up my stepdad, and this happened recently for me. I'm not that old. I don't think I'm that old. I called up my stepdad. I said, do you really notice that you need to go to the bathroom more often? And he goes, even if I don't have to go, I go. <laughs> um, but you notice these changes in your body as you get older. Some of them are not very nice. Hair growing in places. I found a hair on top of my ear. <laughs> How do you find an ear? Who let it grow there? I don't know. It must be written in my genes there somewhere that this hair can grow from there. You know, these things start happening, and the things that you kind of look to yourself, and you think, change has happened. I've got a sore knee. I've noticed that's happening. That's happening because when I was 18, I did something bad to my knee, and it would be operated on. And I'm noticing that's starting to hurt as I get older. Other things start to change in my life that I really wish it wouldn't change, and they change. They have an effect on me. You know what? This is the same for the church. Over years, things change. It's just natural. Some things are good changes. Um, I shave my head now to hide the fact that I'm bald. Hang on, I'm bald. (laughs) You know, things that change in our lives also happen for the church. But a lot of the times, those changes in the church, we don't even realize them. That take us away from sometimes that thing that God has actually called us to. There's been a lot of changes over the years. Starting from the early church, you can name literally hundreds of small changes that have happened that have affected us in so many different ways. There are going to be a lot of words up there that you'll see and you'll think, I have no idea what that is. And you don't realize how much it's affected us as a church. Is there anything up there you don't know about? You can speak up. Last one on the left. Iconoclasm. Back in the uh, 7th century, a pope had designated that all images of Jesus and of God need to be eliminated completely. Which is one of the reasons why a lot of artwork before the 7th century don't exist from the early church. Because they destroyed all of it. And the church, the people, rebelled. It actually uh, took on uh, what is known as the Carolingian uh, Renaissance. They rebelled against the Pope, who at the time told them, you can't do anything. They ended up changing everything around, and all this great artwork began. And we began expressing ourselves through picture. How important is that for us today? It had an effect on the Italian Renaissance. It has an effect on us today who are visual. We, We like to see pictures. And who's been to the Vatican? And you go through the Vatican Museum, you see all those paintings, you're just in awe. You walk into the Sistine Chapel, and you know that scene of man and God, you know, with the fingers trying to touch? It's about that big in the middle of a huge wall, full of painting by one man. It's incredible. All stemmed, really, from that period... Anything else up there you don't know about? Chalcedon. That was a council that basically laid down the duality of Christ. Fully man, fully God. And actually began the schism between East and West. All these things had an incredible effect on who we are as a church today. Uh, you know, Charlemagne, Charles the Great, the Holy Roman Empire, the first 
Holy Roman Empire who brought about an incredible change in the Christian world. He was the first Roman emperor after the fall of Rome. Um, the Medici, anyone know about the Medici? The Medici, they sparked single-handedly the Italian Renaissance. Three of them were popes. They, they payrolled uh, Leonardo da Vinci. They payrolled Michael, Michelangelo. Uh, they were gangsters, really. They're Italian, what do you expect? <laughs> but they had an incredible... In fact, they're the ones that sparked the Reformation, which began right afterwards. And we all know how the Reformation changed us today, right? But these are all aspects that had incredible changes on who we are as a church, more so than we could possibly imagine. We don't realise how much they've shaped us in good ways and in bad ways. You know, Pentecostalism was really kind of a a a knee-jerk reaction to fundamentalism. Evangelicalism was really a knee-jerk reaction to fundamentalism. Um, We don't realise how much of an impact boomers have on us today. Uh, You know, there's some really positive things about boomers. There's also very negative things about boomers. It's the me culture that came out because we grew in prosperity. We grew at a time when even though the economy was always going like this, in general, we were pretty well off coming out of World War II. Postmodernity, everyone's heard of that. Postmodernism, that's where the emerging church um, theology started to kind of build up in there. And today, today we're known as a post-Christian society. What does that mean? Don't need God. Exactly. Anything else? Any things you've noticed in society that's really become what we're calling it as a post-Christian society? Yep. It's all inclusive, everything's okay. Primarily, actually, solely to the Western world. It's interesting, as we are declining as a church, as a Christianity in the Western world, in the Eastern world, it's actually growing. Um, some of the largest churches now aren't in America anymore. They're in Singapore, they're in the Philippines, they're in China, places where Christianity has not really grown well. But we are in a post-Christian society right now for some of these reasons that have been just said. Um, It's interesting, uh, as a church, the church, we're at a crossroads. We are at a real crossroads. And all of our history, all of these things that have had an effect on who we are, are now coming to fruition. And so what are we going to look like 20 years from now? Because let me tell you, those of you who are old enough, did your kids ever rebel the way kids rebel today? Oh, they did do... I mean, I remember when I was a kid... But man, if I stepped out of line, my dad was on top of me like a ton of bricks. I was more fearful of what was going to happen at home than any policeman could do to me. Wasn't that the truth? And today it's not like that. What's changed? 
Yeah. Children have a lot more power than adults most of the times. Um, lack of communication is another problem. Lack of respect. Knowledge. Technology. You would think that today, of all those, I mean, you think back, uh, you know, we talked in, in the previous slide, there was inquisitions, okay? They actually started in the 10th century. Everyone thinks of the inquisitions around Reformation time, but they actually started back at the time of the first crusades going out. And when you think of those times, you think of uh, the Middle Ages, but into the medieval times when you had some really, I mean, people lived to 30 years of age. There was the Black Plague, which kind of wiped out three quarters of the world. Um, Popes who were fighting over each other. Um, How did Christianity survive that? And it got through. And look at us today. We're going through another one of those spells. The church is being questioned. How do we respond? How do we respond? There's, um, when I first applied for this position, um, I was interviewed by, 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 the, by the pastoral search team, but I also had uh, an informal interview with our associate pastor at the time. And he made this comment to me, and uh, I knew what he was talking about, but he kept saying, you know, we're looking for someone missional. Uh, we, need, we need someone missional. And, you know, I know what that meant. Um, I just was quite, you know, (laughs) I found it funny that he kept repeating it. Do you get what I'm saying? We need to be missional. Because some people don't know what that means. I said, dude, I I understand what that means. But then I thought, as I was coming in today, that some of us don't understand what that means. Do you know what missional means? It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's really nothing special about it. The word... Is, is cool, so to say we're part of a missional church, kind of is a trendy thing to say, but really it's not something different than what we've done for, for a couple millennia, is it? Or isn't it? We have brought people in and a lot of times relied on the professionals to go out. There is not one person in this room that hasn't been called by God. For some of us, we hear that calling, and it means doing something radical, like going to India, or becoming a pastor, or giving up my job. And for a lot of us, we come here. Now, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, this model isn't very similar to that. In Acts chapter 2, what was the difference? Community-based? What else? They shared everything? What else? Yep. The closer to the event, the more powerful it is, isn't it? You don't have all this history that kind of builds up on you. And, you know, like us getting old, our bodies kind of tend to fall on the weight of the age of the time that we've been alive. And the church tends to be that way as well. And we forget sometimes when we were 16, 17, that we could run around a block 20 times and not, you know, draw breath, um, in a sense. 
But yeah, the closer we are. Anything else? It was a daily occurrence. It was a lifestyle. They experienced persecution. How did they act when they were persecuted? Does anyone know? They celebrated, didn't they? They were like Jesus. Yes. And they dispersed. That was two of them dispersing to other cities. Yep. And they took them to Jerusalem. You know, it's a human tendency. When the church first started, the tendency was to congregate around Jerusalem because that's where the apostles were. That's where the church had formed. And so they all congregated around Jerusalem. Then the church was dispersed. But guess a few hundred years later where they're starting to congregate around? Rome. And then, in all honesty, with, with the Reformation, in a sense it was dispersed again. But we still then come back as humans to congregate around a space or a place. It's interesting that, isn't it? What else is different about the early church compared to us today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a lot more simpler at the time. Uh, we're talking about church structure being very simple, but if you read in Acts 15, there is a structure. Um, the head of the church is actually not an apostle. His name's James. He's actually the brother of Jesus. Um, the apostles work together, but there is some sort of structure. Paul wants to ch- you know, challenge the church in regards to how we deal with Gentiles. They go to the, to the church in Jerusalem, talk to them, and then they work it out, and then they come up with a decision and then disperse it out to the church. But structure was a lot more... They didn't have church meetings, <laughs> business meetings as such. Exactly. Where did they meet? In homes. And they relied upon one another. These are integral parts of being Christian that society tries to pull us apart from. What's our biggest problem today as a society? Yeah. Selfishness, yep. Ah, that's the word I want to hear. Being too busy. Yes. How often do you go to someone's place for dinner? Once a week? Is that the average? No less. Once a fortnight? Once a month? I'm still getting like shakes of heads. I'm the pastor of this church, and if I'm lucky, it might be once a week, if I'm lucky. I do try to make it up with lunches, though. I'm Italian, I like to eat, hey. <laughs> once a week, maybe, but maybe on average it would be better to say once a fortnight. If I would ask someone here, hey, what are you doing next Saturday? <coughs> Who can just think of now, oh, Saturday. Who's thinking that right now? Yeah, oh, I've got too much going on. Friday night, oh, no, I just need to be alone. <coughs> How about Sunday afternoon? Oh, no, Sunday after church. I I mean, it's true, isn't it? The biggest part of who we are as a church is where does church 
fit in our lives. If we are the church, I think it's important that we are connecting with the people that God has put around us in our community. That's important. It's important that we as a church are missional, and that is that we're going out, but it's equally important that we are living Christ with each other. Because at the end of the day, my friend across the fence is not going to sharpen me. He ain't going to pray for me. He's not going to understand my lingo. He's not going to understand where I'm coming from. My best friend is a guy named Ed who I've known since I was nine years old. I've flown all around this world. He is still my closest friend. He's not a Christian though. And our friendship has to stop at a certain point. Because when I'm in dire need of prayer, I'll tell him that and I'm hoping that maybe he'll connect with God through that. But I'll turn to others. My inner struggles, my, my desires, they are reliant on you all because you're partnering with me in God's mission. You with me? In fact, look at this verse in 1 Corinthians. What is the purpose of church? What is the purpose of who we are? Very simple. What shall we say then, brothers, together? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. I haven't heard a tongue lately. Anyone here got a tongue to share with us this morning? Oh, Baptist. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. We are called to build each other up. What does that look like? What does that look like? We who are strong, who's strong here? Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Daniel and I are the strong ones. Yes. Well, Daniel, you and I need to bear with the failings of the rest of everybody else. Okay, but you and I, we've got to bear with everyone because they're weak. Okay? Not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good. Who are the neighbours? Is it a distinction about who the neighbour is? Everyone, okay? For their good, to what? For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Don't take it personally. He does. So we're called to build each other up. So when you come here on a Sunday, or when we get together, we can have fellowship and hang out and have pizza, which is cool. But one of our goals together is to build each other up and build up the people around us. How do you do that? I'm going to keep coming back to this. How do you do that? What's the one or the two commandments God's given us or Jesus gave us? Look at everything I'm going to show up here with those two commandments. Love God with everything you have. Everything. And love your neighbour as yourself. Okay? So, if you don't like to be slapped in the face to be built up, don't slap somebody in the face to build them up. I, I had a discussion with mum, and um, my mum was telling me how you discipline your kids, because my dad was a real disciplinarian. I mean, he was a big guy like me. He, he, he was great in a sense because there was a lot of security around him, but he was scary. I mean, for a kid... He, he didn't have to say much. He'd give you the look. Any of your kids know about that look? 
This is the look. And you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm in trouble. My uncles and aunts in Sydney still play that trick on me. They try to give me dad's look. I'm like, okay, you know what? That, that died out about it 20 years ago. I'm over it now. But the look. And mum said, why don't, you know, we're talking about discipline. Your dad was great at that. He kept you in line. And I told her, you know, there are a lot of things I loved about dad, but that wasn't one of them. I tend to be that way sometimes with my kids. And I realize that's not what I wanted. That's not the way I grew. So why am I imposing that on them? I'm not building them up. It didn't build me up. It made me, made me scared. It made me paranoid. And when dad died, I was lost because I didn't know how to fend for myself. I was so dependent on him telling me how to do things. I had straight A's up until the day he died. That next semester, I almost failed at everything because I had no motive, no incentive to do it. You know, build each other up. Next thing, get to know the word. Elizabeth shared with that before. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that the enduring taught in the scriptures and in encouragement they provide, we might have hope. What's the purpose of scripture? No, what's it say up there? Sorry? Give us hope. Give us hope. Give us hope. That is the purpose of Scripture. One of our biggest failings as a church is converting Scripture into some sort of magic pill that wards off sin. It's not. It's not. It instructs us. It builds us up. It teaches us. It tells us how to live. It gives us a guide. It gives us hope, endurance, encouragement. But I've known too many people that use Scripture. And you know what those people? Seem to still sin. We just read it in the papers this past week. I don't remember his name. But he was obviously a pretty big... I can't remember his name. Christian guy who was the editor of that newspaper. John McNeil? Yep. Didn't stop him, did it? Pretty intense stuff, isn't it? Sobering. That's the problem when you use scripture. What are the teachers? Our teachers use leather straps. Yeah, that doesn't teach. That alienates, and then when you mess up, people will turn that back on you. Simple as that. And the church, for way too long, has used that stick to keep people in line, and the day the church slips up, people rebel. With the same kind of instruction we've put on them. We forget this. We forget this. When Jesus was on that cross, he could have called down 10,000 angels with semi-automatic rifles and could have blown them all away like that. 
He chose not to. Society in this post-Christian world doesn't like church, but loves Jesus. You can talk to any sinner and they will all tell you, hey, Jesus is awesome. The church is not. Why? Aren't they supposed to be one and the same? Maybe for a while we haven't been walking Jesus' walk. We've been walking our walk. Get to know the Word of God. First and foremost, the Word of God is Jesus. Get to know your Bible. Because, you know, there's only one place in this whole world and universe that you'll actually get to know Jesus. Where is that? Where is that? Where do we get the definition of love? In the Bible. Where do we get the definition of grace? In the Bible. You know, I can, I, I, in this discussion with a friend of mine, we're talking about, we're having this debate with homosexuality and, and how that's affecting the church today, which is a real serious debate. We've been pushing it aside for too long, simply throwing scripture at it and not realizing that it's actually a whole lot deeper than just that. And we're having this discussion, and <laughs> he was telling me, it's all about love, Rob. And, and I, I said to him, I, I, I hear you say that. But how do you define love? Because you know what? I could talk to every one of you in here and I'll get what, about 120 different versions of love. But there is only just one. You know that, right? What is it? You know, when I ask a question, there's usually one answer and you'll always get it right with that one answer. What is it? Jesus. They know. <laughs> Jesus is the embodiment of love. You want to know how perfect love works? See how Jesus lived. See how Jesus lived. The, as a church, we, we kind of lose perspective on this because simply put, the, the outside, people on the outside, they see us and they say, oh, you know, we shared this last week. Hey, you know, you told us that women shouldn't be teaching and that they should wear these things on their head. They need to be quiet. Now you've changed your tune to that. Why? And, you know, many of us sitting here know the days back when the women kept quiet. Who remembers that? Only two people got the guts to put their hands up. (laughs) But it's the truth, right? (laughs) Oh! I won't repeat that. But, you know, we we grew up in churches where certain things happen and we thought they were dogma and we told the world that that's the way it was supposed to be. Then what happened in the world? Women's lib came up in the 60s. People started debating. I don't think God wants to separate genders that way. He certainly doesn't want to marginalize women. But the Bible says, oh, no. And at the end of the day, we all stand up and say, you're right. You're right. But how do you reconcile the fact that in the Bible, it's black and white? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, women should not talk ever. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting daggers thrown at me now, right? But you read that black and white and anyone without any theological training is going to look at that and say, here it is. Right? Or am I wrong? (laughs) If you don't understand it, 
you're going to read it and say, that's it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think it's verse 13 or 14. Women will only be saved by childbirth. Yeah. Better say I haven't kept. No, you better not. (laughs) You watch yourself. (laughs) But you read that, it's black and white, and you're thinking, that's the way it is. And for many centuries, we have fought this. And now big issues come on the horizon. And they're using their arguments against us. You know why? Because we're not consistent. We flip-flop back and forth. The early church relied on the teachings of who? The apostles. Why? That's all they knew. We rely on teachers today because we believe they're being taught appropriately. Unfortunately, a lot of them haven't. And some of you may be thinking that I haven't either. (laughs) But if we were living our Christianity daily, we wouldn't be having these debates. If the Bible was the centerpiece of who we are, I think a lot of these issues that we face, first of all, we'd be doing it out of love because that's the way we've been taught. We're following Jesus. We wouldn't have... Oh, anyway, I won't go there. Get to know the word. I had a discussion this week with a friend of mine, the poor guy, I think I spun his head around three or four times talking about you know, the issue of gender and homosexuality. He just came away from me, I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> yeah. it, it, I'm not here to make the point of what's right and what's wrong. I'm here to make the point that you better read your Bible well. Get deep into it. Don't just trust what I say or what anyone else says. Get deep into it and try to figure out what really is going on because we've made too many mistakes of just plucking the verse out and saying, this is it, and boom, we realise 20 years later that, oh, maybe that's not it. But the damage is already done because we portray Christianity as something that it's not. We've got some of the best... Is Karen here? Because I'm going to embarrass her. She's not here good. Then I can embarrass her without her being here. She's one of the best female preachers I've ever heard. And she beats Joyce Meyer in my book anyway, so many do, but anyway. She's awesome. She knows how to preach the word effectively in 15 minutes, unlike me, that has to go on for forever. Uh, the other thing that we need to be looking at is harmony. Going on in Romans chapter 15, it says, May God give, may God, the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Harmony. We need to have the same mind. You know when harmony really works? At a church business meeting. Everybody in this room must have a nice horror story from a business meeting if you've been in the church at least five to ten years. It's the truth, isn't it? There is certainly not one mind working there, eh? But you know what? I can tell you since I've been here, we have. Oh, yeah, we've had our hiccups and I've had a few run-ins with some of you here where we haven't been of one mind, but we've been able to get over that and we're slowly working together to want to be one mind. Harmony. Harmony is not, by the way, flower power. Hey, this is really cool. No, harmony is one mind. And if you're using your mind, you know there's going to be a bit of budding going on there, right? 
The other thing is praise. In verse 6 it says, so that with one mind and one voice you may do what? (laughs) Do I need to go any further than that? Because when we're of one mind, it becomes really easy together to glorify God. And worship takes on a whole different meaning. Everyone remember, those of you who were married, that day that you got married? Do you want to understand what made that day so great? It's because in that moment there was harmony. You're of one mind. Now I don't know what's happened afterwards for some of you, but you know in that moment you got married, there was harmony. And that's what God wants for our church. Harmony. With that harmony comes praise. And then... Last of all, example, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. If we weren't so picky about pointing other people's sins and pointing out the love and grace of God, I think this country would be a little bit different. We need to focus on what we're for, not what we're against. We still need to help each other grow, which means a bit of wrangling, but for too long we've been known what we're known for what we're against, not what we're for. Okay? Accept each other because Christ accepted you. And the reason behind this all is this. To partake in God's mission. You've been called to partake in this mission in this mission. It's not your mission. It's not my mission. It's his mission. And you know what? When you die, he's not going to ask what degree you got. He's not going to ask what job you had or how well you looked after your kids or what a good husband or wife you were or which team you supported, even though I think he'd give you brownie points if you did follow the Wallabies, but anyway. (laughs) He made them gold for a reason. Kidding, I'm kidding. He's going to ask you, what have you done with my mission? What have you done with my mission? Because I'm going to tell you right now, people, in a church this big, some of you are going to die this year. Oh, that's a pleasant thought. Thank you, Rob. And some of us who won't be expecting to die this year will die. And those of us who might be expecting to die this year may not die either. And that's going to come before you know it. And everything you've done in your life at that point won't mean a thing other than God's mission. That's it. That's what matters in life. This is our purpose. This is our being. This is who we are. This is the church. To pray for people who we send out to love and support them, to turn to each other and go out for dinner together, to break bread together, not just on a Sunday. When was the last time you had communion with friends? Brothers and sisters of the Lord, you just come over, hey, we're going to break bread together. We're going to remember who Jesus is in our lives and we're going to have a good time of fellowship. When was that last done in your lives? When was the last time you turned around and said, I need help? knowing 
that the people you love, your brothers and sisters, will turn around and help you. Get joyful when I see Bob in church. Or know the needs of Elizabeth and Cuth. Excited about... Amen. Because that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Amen? Isn't that powerful? Isn't that what we're about? Oh! <laughs> I... I I, I can't. I, I understand when Paul talks about groans. I'm going to start speaking in tongues now. And I'm going to get kicked out. I won't speak in tongues. But oh man, I feel like God has called us to a vision, a mission, a purpose so much bigger than me. You know, I'm stooped down in my bills. I'm stooped down in a house I don't know how to fix. I, I, my body's falling apart, and I've got no hair on my head. I can't lose weight, and you know, my girls are growing, and I'm getting stressed about that. And all these things in life are just bowling me over. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to put a full stop to that, and I'm going to open up the sentence with, I love God. He is mine. I am his. Amen. Amen. That is all. Amen. Now ask our worship team to come up. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. God has called you to be a part of this place. And for some of you, he may be calling you elsewhere. India might be a bit further away for you. But God has a calling in your life. You need to turn around and don't start saying hello to people around you. But you need to start looking out for who is God calling me to go give a hug? Who is God calling me to go give a word? Who do I need to be praying with? And who do I need to invite to dinner this week? Amen? Father God, I just want to lift up our church to you, Lord. I want to lift it up to you, Father, because this is your church. We are your people. You've brought us together from all walks of life, from everywhere, with all sorts of strange experiences. And yet here we are, Lord. We want to see your kingdom grow. We see the good work that's happening in India we see uh, Freeset that's doing some fantastic stuff there, Lord. We're seeing people coming to know you, coming out of bondage into freedom. We see other places. We want to see it happening here too, Lord. Starting with our own lives. And then being through our lives an outpouring of your love and grace so that people may see that and see you and glorify you. Thank you, Father, for who you are. For, for Jesus, who is that example to us, it's awesome. It's a, it's a big challenge that's at our feet right now, Lord. So help us, Father, as we move forward in you. Help us to push forward in you, Lord. I want to pray for the hearts of those this morning who are struggling. Pray that your heart, you may speak to their hearts, Lord. Cover them in your spirit. I know there are some people here who have been coming here for months, have never been invited to dinner or, or lunch or anywhere. I know others have been feeling lonely, 
I know others have been a little upset at each other. There's a lot of that, and, and it's part of being human, Lord, but help us. Help us to make amends to that. And, and I pray for those who are feeling that way now, Lord. For those who need to be renewed in you, I lift them up to you, Father. They know who they are. May you speak to them afresh. May you speak to them afresh. In Jesus' name.